0: This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from experts across the U.S. Ringler Associates, celebrating 35 years of successfully helping injured people and their families. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen.
1: Well, welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations and your host here on Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us today. Well, it's estimated that about a thousand coal miners die every year from a disease commonly known as black lung, a fatal condition caused by exposure to coal mine dust. The dust builds up in the lungs, gradually reducing the ability to breathe and finally asphyxiating the victim. Black lung litigation is a decades-old battle that continues today because the disease is on the rise in younger minors. And uh, to some in the audience, you might find that a little surprising. Sometimes you think the diseases you've heard of in the past have gone away. Not so. Joining us today are two of the most prominent lawyers in this area. Represent, they represent victims in many black lung cases. Stephen Sanders is a public interest lawyer and the director of the Appalachian Citizens Law Center, which fights for the rights of injured coal miners. Steve, welcome. I hope I pronounced Appalachian right.
2: Yes, you did, Larry, and it's nice to be here. Thank you.
1: Terrific. And also joining us is an attorney who has dedicated his law career to the rights of coal miners suffering from black lung disease, John Klein. John has spent much time helping the West Virginia Black Lung Association, has worked as a benefits counselor at Black Lung Medical Clinics, and has represented many federal claimants. John, welcome to Ringler Radio. Thank you, Larry. Well, Steve, let's start with you. When was the correlation made between coal mine dust and black lung? When was that first discovered?
2: Well, Larry, they, there are h- reports historically going back for several hundred years that link miners with lung disease. But in the United States, it seems that about 100 to 150 years ago, medical doctors who worked in the areas where there was coal mining began to become concerned about symptoms of black lung disease. These are doctors who were reporting about minors with prolonged coughing and uh, production of an inky black fluid. So these reports were made in the late 1800s.
1: So uh, this condition existed back then, it was reported, but when did the first legislation come out that really helped coal miners cope with this?
2: In the United States, that was in 1969, with the passage of the 1969 Coal Mine Safety Act. And that act was a response to a mine explosion that occurred in 1968. The act was initially directed towards improving safety conditions, but it also addressed the problems associated with working in dust and it created a compensation program for minors disabled by black lung and for the survivors of minors who were disabled by black
1: lung. Well, John, I know the Department of Labor runs the current program on black lung and it has promulgates all these different rules and regulations and and all that. Tell us about the program and uh, how it works. The
3: 1969 Federal Coal Mine Health and Safety Act, as Steve said, was contained provisions for limiting the exposure to coal mine dust and also to compensate minors who became disabled by black lung and to compensate their survivors uh, many of the widows um, or miners or widows can file an application with the department of labor and submit evidence to support their claim for a living miner the department of labor will provide a comprehensive exam which consists of an x ray, a pulmonary function test, and an arterial blood gas study to evaluate their condition. The, they issue a preliminary decision based on that evaluation and allow both the miner and the coal company who last employed the miner. To submit additional evidence before deciding whether benefits will be awarded.
1: Well, what does a miner have to do to prove the claim? I mean, how, what does he have to show that would uh, give him some some result that would be beneficial to them?
3: A miner must prove by a preponderance of the evidence um, that they have pneumoconiosis or black lung arising out of their coal mine employment, and that they have sufficient pulmonary impairment to prevent them from performing their usual coal mine work. And that the black lung significantly contributed to their disability.
1: And, and the And let's say the, the individual has passed away, the widow pursues the claim. Does the widow have any special, uh, obviously she has to prove that she was married to the guy I guess, but, but right. what, what else does she have to prove?
3: And like the minor, she has to prove that he had pneumoconiosis or black lung. And then she has to prove that black lungs significantly contributed to or hastened her husband's death.
1: Steve, what kind of uh, medical evaluations do miners go through as they're working in the mine? Do they do they from time to time have to submit to that?
2: It depends on the mine, Larry. Some mines, gen- most mines, generally are going to require a pre-employment physical with a chest X-ray uh, to try to determine if the miner already has lung disease as a result of. Coal mine dust exposure.
1: Let's let me stop you there. What what happens if a miner has that X ray and it shows a pre existing condition? What, what how does that affect the new employer? How the mine how the mine treats that individual?
2: Uh, assuming that the miner is hired. Uh, works there for a year that new employer could potentially be the liable party for a award of black lung benefits
1: I get you so so in other words after a certain period of time he he essentially buys that employee's condition right okay right uh, John what percentage of minors that pursue these cases actually win
3: according to a government accounting office report issued last October, only about 13% of the claims are initially approved and 80% 87% are denied. Of the cases that are appealed to an administrative law judge, which would include nearly all of the initial awards and a smaller percentage of the denials, 23% were awarded, 53% were denied, and the remaining 11% were either withdrawn, dismissed,
1: well, you know, Steve, that seemed, those those numbers seem a little bit on the low side. Why is it so difficult for minors to win cases in this arena? Why?
2: There's several reasons why minors have a difficult time winning their claims. Uh, the issues which they must prove, as John said earlier, the minor has the burden of proof on all issues. So these issues are relatively complicated. Uh, legally, there is a, a long history of court rulings interpreting the federal black Lung law, the nature of the evidence needed to prove a case is medically sophisticated. The minors are often going without legal representation, and the other side is uh, basically the operators who would be responsible for the claim if the benefits are awarded are uh, represented by skilled and educated lawyers who have uh, experience defending against the claims, and they routinely counter... The evidence favorable to the minor with conflicting evidence from their medical specialists, which calls into doubt, of course, the evidence that's favorable to the miner's claim. Um, and then in addition, there's just these sorts of confounders. So we know that coal mine dust can cause chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, mm-hmm. but so does cigarette smoke, right. and many minors are smokers. So these kinds of things make proving a case uh, very difficult. Um from my point of view and i think john would agree it's essential that a claimant obtain you know legal representation by someone who's knowledgeable about the black lung program and who can assist the claimant in obtaining you know good quality medical evidence from a qualified pulmonary
1: specialist well special. you, you mentioned that a lot of a lot of the, the miners go without attorneys into these uh into these uh, dens of of, of of trying to solve this problem into these court courtrooms et cetera. Is it difficult for minors to find attorneys? Why? Why are they? Why are they not doing that? And, and let me ask you again about the contingency fee scenario in these cases versus any other way of payment.
2: Well, it's not a contingency fee. Uh, I guess I'll start with that part of it. Sure. The uh, federal law prohibits the claimant from paying his attorney. The attorney who represents a minor or widow in a black lung claim is only paid if the minor or widow's claim is successful and then the uh, attorney files an application for a fee. Uh, It's based on an hourly rate. The adjudicator makes the award and the operator has to pay the the fee. The uh, difficulty in finding an attorney, I think it's uh, widely known that black lung claimants can have problem finding an attorney. Um, Many attorneys shy away from the work because of the complexity, the fact that you can put in many years of work on a case without ever getting any compensation and it's sort of, you know there's lots of other ways to practice law
1: well it sounds like sounds, a like sounds like one of the things you guys have to lobby for is to change the way these cases are compensated <laughs> right I mean that that would probably help the whole process if for some if some way you could change the law or have the law modified. I know it's probably difficult to do, but certainly, or,
3: yes, or improve the approval rate,
1: <laughs> or improve the or, or pr- improve the approval rate. But, but by working on cases and and then striking out, I mean I can understand why lawyers are a little bit shy to take these cases. But I, I I think that's that's probably a interesting little point to think about for all of us,
2: right? Part of the General Accounting Office report that John was referring to earlier talked about that and the difficulty of. Uh, that faces a claimant, you know, these are rural areas and uh, sometimes there's not as many attorneys available either and they uh, just sort of, as you say, would shy away from this work in favor of doing some other work that uh, might be, you know, they might be able to be paid upfront or mm-hmm. soon after completion of the work.
1: Well, so to end this part of it, is there thing on the drawing board or any recommendations that anyone has made about the compensation system being tweaked or changed or is that chasing rainbows.
2: Uh the general accounting office I think recommended that the department of labor look at it. I don't know of any actual specific proposals on that.
1: Okay. Well, it's very interesting. It's a very interesting uh element of of what you're what you're dealing with. John, what about cases where a minor was awarded benefits? Uh we've even, I've heard of situations where benefits were actually taken away later. Is that something you've heard about or dealt with?
3: Yes, that does happen. Um, Tell us about that. Unfortunately, frequently. I don't know the exact percentage. Most of the initial awards are appealed by the employer, and a significant percentage are denied by an administrative law judge on appeal. Often, the employer defends the cases more aggressively before a law judge, develops more evidence and it is difficult for an individual minor or widow to match up or to compete. Many do not have sufficient financial resources, and it's difficult to find qualified physicians who are willing to get involved in litigation and to write comprehensive medical reports on their behalf, whereas employers have a collection of experts who are well-trained, in the litigation issues and well-paid, some of them receive up to $500 an hour.
1: Well, again, it sounds like the playing field needs to be leveled a little bit, and uh, good luck, gentlemen. (laughs) John, even though this is a uh, decades-old tragedy, there are reports that uh, black lung disease is on the rise in younger miners, and it's a little surprising with all the the technology perhaps in the mining industry today that that you would think would, would not have that be so. Can you address it? Tell us about that.
3: I sure can. It's a, It's really disturbing um, to see this change in the last 10 years. Um, I'm now representing, I think, eight coal miners in their 50s, which means that their entire mining career took place after the passage of the 1969 Act, um, which was intended to eliminate black lung, who have um, advanced cases of complicated pneumoconiosis. One of them died at the age of 58 this past April. Um, and the Department of Labor uh, has just produced an updated report on the number of complicated pneumoconiosis cases they're seeing. and. Uh, See, in West Virginia, since 2001, there were 232, and 60 of them were in their 50s. In Kentucky, there were 178, and 85 of those, 47%, or almost 48% were in their 50s. So it's a serious problem. Interesting.
1: Why? Why, Steve? Why are the uh, rates rising like this? What are the theories out there about that?
2: Well, I know th- there are several theories. Um, they all have to do with the amount of exposure to dust. Uh, as John was saying, by under the 1969 Coal Mine Act, the uh, intent of the law was to eliminate black lung by regulating the exposure to what they call respirable dust, and they created a standard. NIOSH, that's the uh, federal government's National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, recommended in nineteen ninety five that this standard be cut in half, but so far, the Department of Labor has not done that so the The rise in black lung disease could be due to the fact that the standard is inadequate to sufficiently protect minors in addition, Coal mining today is different than it was 40 and 50 years ago in some ways. There's uh, modern machinery that's used uh, called the continuous mining machine, and it grinds, it just pulverizes the coal as the coal is being extracted at the face, uh, causing lots of uh, respirable airborne dust to you know to be released into the mine atmosphere. Mines today often will cut rock at the same time that they're cutting coal, so the coal seams are relatively thin and they're separated by thin seams of rock and so in the process of mining both the coal and the rock are, are cut and the rock dust is believed to be extremely harmful to uh, to miners and to their lungs the rock is removed in the processing of the coal after the coal is taken out of the mine but it's uh, in the cutting of the coal and the rock that this dust is being created And there's also the idea that um, the two common ways to control dust are water sprays on the mining equipment, in particular on the continuous mining machine, and ventilation. And ventilation is accomplished by using curtains to direct the flow of air. And fans push air into the mine or suck air out of the mine, and curtains are placed in a strategically so as to bring that air right up to the face and to remove the dust. But if the curtains aren't hung or the water sprays aren't operating, then those methods of controlling dust are just aren't existing in that mine. And too often that happens. Uh, We hear stories all the time from miners who will tell us that the mines did not comply with these uh, methods used to control dust unless... uh, government
1: safety officials were present. Well, that's interesting. For some of us in the audience who aren't familiar with coal mining, uh, they might be asking the question, well, what do the miners themselves, uh, what do they wear to potentially protect themselves? Do they wear some kind of a mask scenario? Is there anything available for the miner to uh, help cut down on the, you know, ingesting some of these this dust in their lungs?
2: Some miners do wear a dust mask, um, It's questionable as to how effective they are, and in fact, there's litigation about that because some of these dust masks have been proven to be ineffective in filtering out the very, very tiny particles that cause black lung disease. But some miners wear the masks uh, at times. It's not clear that all mine operators encourage miners to wear masks. Some of this work is heavy exertional work, and if you're wearing a mask, You really can't perform the work as well. Um, The masks make you too hot. They get in the way. Uh, There's just a whole variety of problems. And some of the companies, um, unfortunately, they really uh, create some disincentives for using these kinds of methods to protect yourself. So they have production bonuses for crews that run the most coal in a certain amount of time. And that becomes a real disincentive to hang ventilation curtains and to make sure that the water sprays are working and to wear masks when you're working. Right.
1: So there, so there is not any, what I would call the mining version of OSHA. There's there's no requirement. There's no study that's done that says OSHA is going to, the mining OSHA is going to now require some kind of a contraption that, that a miner must must have on. Like, like a hard hat for a construction site or something like that. I mean, you know, there, is a, in the
2: there is a group. It's the Mine Safety and Health Administration that uh, enforces our mining regulations. But as far as I know, they don't require the miners to wear dust masks.
1: John, how many families are we talking about that have been affected by uh, black lung? What's the, what are the numbers?
3: I don't know exactly, but... Um, there are indications that there are forty thousand beneficiaries currently, um so there are literally thousands of families that are uh, have been impacted by the effects of this disease over
1: a period of years.
3: yeah, over many mm-hmm.
1: years exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you said the uh, you're both saying that the uh, the incidence is starting to rise now among the younger minors, and uh, it's tough. Any personal stories you'd like to share, either of you, uh, that gives us some insight into how all this impacts the family and how this uh, this tough litigation process is, uh, is on them? This
3: is John, and the fellow I referred to earlier that died this past April at the age of 58, um, I thought it was interesting that he was severely wounded in Vietnam but was able, after a period of time, to recover from that injury, but he did not survive the effects of coal mine dust he was exposed to here at home. And another fellow that I um, represent, um, in 2001, his x-rays revealed that he had um, significant pneumoconiosis or possibly cancer. So he went through a biopsy at the University of Virginia to eliminate the possibility of cancer. The surgeon wrote him a letter that said, this is to inform me that your pathology shows changes consistent with co-workers' pneumoconiosis or black lung. And as I told you, at the time of surgery, your entire lung was jet black from inhalation of coal mine dust. Um, at the time, he had worked um, about 30, 28 or 30 years um, in the mines. and." Um, he filed a claim, was still working, but was denied because he couldn't prove either complicated pneumoconiosis or dis- disability because he was still working. He worked another six years and then now is severely impaired and, and had to stop. He couldn't do the job any longer. So some of these fellows are getting caught in between um, the rules of the program and the get away from this exposure to save their lives.
1: Exactly. Steve, before you come to us with a story of your own, let's take a quick break and uh, come back in a minute, and then we'll uh, get a little bit more into the black lung litigation uh, arena with both John and Steve. And uh, Steve, get ready. We'll be back soon, and you can tell us your story.
0: This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for 35 years ringler associates the only broker you need listen to all the ringler radio shows just go to ringlerassociates.com or legaltalknetwork.com and click on ringler radio and choose a topic did you know you can download ringler radio to your ipod just go to itunes and subscribe to the legal talk network it's free Ringler Radio is celebrating its sixth year right here on the Legal Talk Network, produced by broadcast professionals. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to all parties involved in the settling of physical injury claims. Experience counts. Over $23 billion in structures, benefiting 166,000 injured individuals and their families and one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Did you know Ringler Radio is one of the top three rated shows in iTunes? Thanks to all of our listeners who download all the Ringler Radio shows. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to The Legal Talk Network. It's free.
1: Well, welcome back to Ring the Radio. Glad you joined us. I'm Larry Cohen, your host, and joined today by attorneys John Klein and Steve Sanders speaking about black lung disease. Now, Steve, you were going to tell us before the break of a, of a personal story that could really uh, give us a little more insight into this whole area.
2: Well, Larry, one of the stories I would tell you is just that the length of time that these cases can go for um, I have one uh, case. I, we are just wrapping it up now after it's probably been on appeal and remanded probably five different times. This miner stopped working in 1991 and filed his claim. So in 2009, his case is now finally coming to an end. I represented a widow of a minor and her case uh, came to uh end after nearly 30 years of litigation. Those are... Uh, There's no explanation for that. This is a compensation system that's supposed to provide a benefit to help disabled uh, minors and their widows to sort of to get by, to survive. If you have to spend 25 years, 30 years litigating the system, it's not working.
1: I would also suspect that uh, a lot of these miners want to work. They want to be minors, and that's what they would do for a living. And the concept of claiming the black lung issue might put them on the shelf and and is there a psychological component there that they don't want to kind of admit to the problem that they have?
2: Well for sure they would rather be working uh, and it's hard for people I think to realize that they're too disabled to work but many of them it's interesting they'll talk about how their workmates the miners that worked with them sort of carried them for a while And what might happen is then there'll be a layoff and they can't get work elsewhere. Exactly. And that's what sort of pushes them into the benefit
1: system. Especially in this economy, yeah. Steve, in your opinion, what can mine operators do to reduce these rates of black lung?
2: Well, I think the important thing here is can we control dust exposure? As I was saying earlier, NIOSH recommended that the level of exposure be cut in half from the present level But that would really take government action. Operators aren't going to do that voluntarily. But the two principal ways to reduce exposure are very simple. The use of water sprays on the coal dust as the coal is being cut at the face and the use of ventilation curtains. And if those two things are done, if they strict compliance with the ventilation plan, I think we would really reduce the amount of exposure. But unfortunately, I mean, they take away time from production and so they are I think often uh, disregarded.
1: John what about promising technological advances anything out there on the horizon that uh, even beyond what Steve mentioned that that could possibly help here?
3: At a recent mine health and safety uh, meeting here in Beckley um, the president of the Bituminous Coal Association um, talked about a new dust monitoring device that is promises to be more accurate, um, producing um, information continuously about the level of exposure, and I think to somehow calculate um, the effect over a longer period of time. One of the possible differences that I'm not sure Steve mentioned. Years ago, miners were more unionized and more often worked just 40 hours a week. Now, most of the mines around here in Kentucky are non-union, and miners work 10 to 12 hours a day, six and seven days a week, and their lungs don't have time to clear. So this additional exposure may be... during the week um, may be a significant factor and and if this dust monitoring device can detect that and somehow take it into um, consideration maybe that will provide information and attention to the problem in a different way I'm not sure.
1: Interesting well you know let's as a wrap-up question and I, I like to address it this way if I had a couple of mine owners on the show today uh, and assuming the mine owners are not blind to the to the issues and problems of black lung, what would they say uh, they can do? What would they say this issue is all about from their perspective? Do you have a feel for that?
2: I think John mentioned that at least the president of the Bituminous Coal Operators Association in the last few months has been uh, interested in working with the Mine Safety and Health Administration on trying to eliminate the disease. Um, some of the problem could be due to the competitiveness in the industry, these, some of these very small mines that uh, I think run more or less outlaw, that is, they disregard a lot of the safety regulations, could be part of the cause of the problem. They uh, are able to produce coal at a lower cost than some of the larger operations. So I think if, uh, if the government could uniformly and effectively enforce the safety regulations, that would be a big help
1: interesting any any thoughts John I was
3: just going to say that there is a difference apparently between the attitudes of some mine owners and others um, as Steve said the bituminous uh, coal association president seemed to have a very um, genuine interest in solving the problem whereas we have other in some cases small mine owners but here in West Virginia one of the largest producers seems to take a different sort of a denial of the problem, and that it's uh, more cost-effective to litigate the cases than to try to do something to solve the problem.
1: That's interesting. It's a a complex issue, I know, and there's economic components of it, and also obviously the medical side, and and as you said, the administration of the whole process seems uh, somewhat... Stymied by this uh, failure to be able to get good representation due to the the compensation system, I would guess. So you've got a lot of issues to deal with. I know you're dealing with them individually with your clients, and uh, we'd like to thank both of you to jo- from you know for joining us today and really. Letting the the public, the listening audience, really know more about this subject. I, I don't think many of us did.
2: Well, Larry, thanks for the opportunity. I was glad to be able to well, be on the show,
1: John. Let me let me ask you first: How can our listeners contact you if they wanted to talk to you or get to know more about this subject matter?
3: My telephone number is three zero four two five five two three one nine or two five two eight four six six. But I should point out that. Um, you know, I take as many cases as I can, but they are very time-consuming. You know, the, <laughs> the employers are being represented by large law firms with a lot of resources and a lot of talent, and uh, so and there's, as Steve said, there's a shortage of attorneys, so I I, I can't take very many cases.
1: <laughs> well, I'll. I'll I think that's going to be uh, something everyone here. That, I don't think you're going to get many cases from the listening audience here, but I think okay. they, I think that cer- I think they'll certainly, at least I hope not. But uh, I think at least they'll, they might need information, and that would be a good place for them to go. Steve, how about yourself?
2: The uh, phone number is 606-633-3929 and our address is. 317 Main Street, Whitesburg, Kentucky, 41858.
1: Well, great. And uh, for all of you listeners out there, you can download every Ringler Radio Show. Remember, from our website, ringlerassociates.com, or from legaltalknetwork.com, or you can download it to your iPod and listen to to it on iTunes, and you can hear uh, both John and Steve talking about the black lung issue as you uh, walk around the park. So thanks again, Steve Sanders and John Klein. Again, to the audience, thanks for listening. Now go out and make it a great day.
0: Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. In its six-year on Legal Talk Network, with over a half a million listeners, Ringler Associates, where experience counts, since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to all parties involved in physical injury claims. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the Life Markets. That issues structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential.